0: Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Sock Religious. They're an online mom and pop store that was started by Scott and Elizabeth back in 2017. Check out Sock Religious and bring the faith to the workplace and spice up your Sunday best. You can find a link to Sock Religious in today's show notes at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. When you hear the word evangelization, do you find yourself thinking, more along the lines of confidence, or does the word afraid kind of describe what you feel when you hear that word? Every Catholic is called to evangelize. Today's episode is going to answer that all-important question for Catholics with little experience in evangelism, which is, how do I get started? Kathy Duffy is going to be sharing her wealth of experience in a natural, and easy process that anyone can use to evangelize to friends and family, including why all Catholics should be involved in evangelism. It's not just for Protestants. How to guide a conversation, how to pray with others, and why one of the most important, important things that we can do in evangelization conversations is to encounter the other person and listen. I loved Kathy and I's conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. We are welcoming to today's podcast episode Kathy Duffy. She is an author and publisher, and she focuses on reviewing educational resources for the homeschool market over at KathyDuffyReviews.com. But today we're going to be talking about her brand new book on evangelization, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Kathy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chloe. So before we dig into evangelization, can you just tell us a little bit more about your story as a Catholic woman and your journey to the church?
1: Yes, it's been a long journey. I was raised as a cradle Catholic, went to Catholic schools, and like so many others, kind of drifted off in my teen years mentally before I left physically. Mm. But I was gone from the church for more than 20 years. And during that time, I I ended up at a Protestant church, uh, Calvary Chapel in particular, and got very involved. That's where I fell in love with scripture and learned about evangelism and really got on fire. But you can only go down that road so far before you start stumbling across the Catholic Church again, especially uh, if you get involved in apologetics, as I did. We ended up homeschooling. I was teaching worldview classes. I was speaking at conferences and uh, really having to explain the faith and why we believed it in lots of settings. And it made me dig deeper and deeper until I ran up against some questions I couldn't answer from a Protestant perspective. And it took quite a while, about six years of, you know, really bucking what I thought the answers were they were leading me to the Catholic Church, because I didn't want to go that direction. (laughs) But I finally realized there was no other answer and ended up back at the Catholic Church. But I was so on fire at that point, and one of my sons decided he was interested in Catholicism, so he ended up going to RCIA. Something new to me wasn't there when I had left the church. And I was fascinated by the process and ended up volunteering in RCIA. And within a couple of years, I was running the RCIA program at our (laughs) parish and then also running adult faith formation. So I had lots of opportunity there to get involved with the conversations, evangelistic conversations with people through those efforts. But um, that eventually, I I spent about 10 years doing that, but I ended up doing more administration over the years and ended up resigning from that job so I could really focus more on evangelism and the things that drove me rather than administration. So now I've worked with uh, people in our parish. We put on the Alpha course. Uh, I've created these discipleship groups we do as a follow-up to Alpha, mentor people, do you know? Do lots of other little things that are more up my alley in terms of evangelism, mentoring, helping people to grow in faith. So that's where I am today. I'm still doing homeschool reviewing and, and work, but um, the evangelism is what's driving my efforts right now.
0: That's beautiful, and to see the journey back to the Catholic Church and all of the things that you learned during your time as a Protestant to see the love of Scripture, the apologetics aspect, the evangelism, yeah. evangelism side. To just yeah, really I love the, the way God church.
1: used my detour
0: there yeah. for good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> more and more Catholics are falling away from their Catholic faith, and the Catholic culture that maybe they grew up with when they were kids and and have fallen away as they grow to adulthood, it's also eroded by today's culture, which doesn't seem to help us stay Catholic. So before we talk about the importance of evangelization and how important it is to live out our faith as Catholics in our own daily life, can you paint a picture, like a, a bird's eye view, kind of, of what the state of Catholicism is in today's world?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh we're I'm involved in the, you know, in our parish heavily, but I'm also on an evangelism committee for the diocese. And I'm paying attention to what's happening with other parishes and the drop in attendance and people that are leaving the church. Uh, or drifting away. I think for so many people, it's merely drifting away. They don't care. It's very disturbing Gallup poll that came out this year. Uh, so it had some surprising numbers because we think it's just young people leaving. But among those who are 50 to 59, okay, in the older age range, 67% go to church once a month or less. Wow. And then if you look down at the ones in the 20s, people in their 20s, 80% go once a month or less. So the numbers are escalating drastically in terms of non-church attendance. And <laughs> you can't go very long dropping numbers at the rate we are dropping without the church Disappearing. It's very frightening to think about. So, yeah, our need for evangelism, for re-evangelizing those in the pew so that they attend, they don't just drift away, and reaching those outside the church to draw them into the church is just vital.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was reading more stati- statistics throughout your book and in the research for this episode and just realizing, like, for every one Catholic who enters the Catholic Church for RCA, six are leaving. And it's easy to, you know, look at the Easter Vigil and be like, this is so great. Look at the how many Catholics yeah. are coming to the – but then to realize that, like, if we had this other ceremony for ch- Catholics leaving the church, the, the numbers would be six times as much. And like, oh, that's awful. Like, who would want to go to that? <laughs> Yeah, but it's yeah. Easy, to, easy to live in that Catholic bubble of like, well, I'm in church every Sunday and I look around and I see people and then to realize that this is a much bigger problem. And it's also a problem that we can help fix in some ways by living our own lives as Catholics with passionate faith, but also with the topic of evangelization and sharing our faith with others, too, for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, we can see in our parish, we've been on a very strong push for evangelization. And, you know, again, we're going into our fourth year. We're working on our fourth year of Alpha and, you know, other efforts. And probably we're one of the strongest parishes in that aspect of, you know, evangelism and drawing people in. And we've had a lot of people return to the, to the church. But we're still losing people. We're not gaining in our overall mass attendance we're pretty much holding steady mm-hmm. with all of what we're doing and so i find it even uh, more frightening to think about what if we weren't doing what we're right doing,
0: you know? right exactly so, yeah that's a really yeah. good point when it comes to evangelization it's something that is really easy to shy away from, or to think like, well, you know, I don't have a master's in theology, mm. so I'm probably not going to do much good here. What are some reasons that we as Catholics hold back from sharing our faith, and how can we overcome those fears and trust that you know, God is going to work through us in those conversations regardless of how much knowledge we do or don't have?
1: Yeah, it's that's it's such a problem, because I think, especially in years past, we look to the priest and, you know, right. then increasingly to the staff to be the ones who could answer answer questions. We don't do that. We send people to talk to the priest, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> We've got a priest shortage in some places. Some parishes don't even have a regular priest on right. staff, you know. It's it's not the way it used to be. And it was never really meant to be that way, because we're all supposed to be sharing our faith. If If we really, really appreciate what God has done for us, the The gospel, what God has done for us through giving Jesus to die for our sins to provide salvation in eternal life, this is an amazing offer for free. We should be wanting to tell people about it. We should be on fire. Uh, And that should help us overcome our fears. I think, first of all, the zeal is lacking. We're not appreciating what we've got. But um, even for those who do, there's all kinds of concerns. We're afraid people will be uncomfortable, we'll be uncomfortable. Uh, They'll ask us questions we don't have the answers for. We don't know the apologetics answers. You know, we don't, we haven't memorized the Bible. We don't want to talk to Protestants because they know scripture and we don't, that sort of thing. All kinds of excuses we use to avoid those conversations. I'm finding that the, the excuses aren't really valid in most cases because most people don't want us to teach them they need to be listened to and i'm finding that the biggest key to evangelism is actually listening rather than talking
0: and then just valuing their story as well i love that like most people don't we don't have to have all the answers i was talking to a group of college freshmen at the beginning of the semester and one thing that i just really emphasized and i wish i had known in college um, was that it's okay it's okay to not know the answers it's okay to say you know I, you know that's a really good question and to validate their journey and to validate their question and then say let's let me look at let me look it up because we're not the first yeah. people to ask these questions and that's the beauty of Catholicism is that we have 2000 years of rich church history where almost you know all the questions have been asked and answered and it's just doing the <laughs> research right. to find them <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely i you know i think
1: it was um on my journey back to the Church, it was kind of a, a road of humility, because all mm. of my concerns and questions I found, other people had asked them before, and they'd been answered well. <laughs> um you know nothing new under the sun,
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and I love that that emphasis on humility, too, both for those who are asking questions about Catholicism, but for us as Catholics too, just to realize that you know we don't have all the answers and and there's a journey in some ways that I've found that in conversations with people who are asking questions about Catholicism that I learned a lot about my faith that I didn't know before because i'd never I'd never thought about the questions that they they were bringing to conversation, and just this realization that you know it's it's not about us um, it's about Jesus and and the Lord and his conversation in their hearts as well too but yeah yeah definitely that humility aspect is so important
1: you know and sometimes when you're having those conversations the question a person asks isn't the real question you know like somebody might challenge you with oh Catholics worship Mary you know how can you how can you be in a church who does that you know and and it's You know, it's kind of off-putting. Okay, well, I can get into a defense of Marian doctrine, but why are they asking that question? And oftentimes, if you just turn it around in that way and say, you know, um, why does that matter to you? And you'll gradually get into some other issue that is really at the heart of it. Maybe one of their parents was Catholic, and then the parents divorced. And, you know, something else is much more troubling to them than... Marian worship or whatever they think, you know, right? they're just that's an excuse for them that they hold up to, you know, why I won't look at this.
0: And it can be easily to like kind of pridefully go into that conversation and be like, yes, I'm going to teach them about Marian theology and then to miss an opportunity to really interact with them and recognize their story because there's that pride of like, well, I, you know, I have all the answers or I, I've i prepared an answer to this. And so it goes back to that yeah. listening portion of really hearing what even what they're not saying, which is definitely important to remember, too. Right. You've written a new book. Everyday Evangelism for Catholics, A Practical Guide to Spreading the Faith in in a Contemporary World, which is an incredible book. I loved it. I love how practical it is. In that book, you talk about the concept of thresholds, which I've just recently found out about, and the thresholds when it comes to a progression of conversion. So can you explain the different thresholds of conversion and why knowing about these thresholds or where someone's at in that process, is actually helpful to shaping conversation with them.
1: There's five thresholds. Um, two gentlemen, Protestants, uh, came up with this idea, you know, just in looking at the way people come to faith. There is a very typical process of passing through these stages You know, as someone is coming into a faith. And so those five thresholds are trust, curiosity, openness to change, Serious seeking and then, it was how we term it in the Catholic world, becoming an intentional disciple. But it starts back there at trust. If you think about this, you know, the, the guy on the street corner, you know, with his Bible and he's, you know, you're going to go to hell, that sort of thing how ineffective that is most of the time because who trusts this guy right Who you know you don't you're not curious because of what he's saying usually it's just oh so off-putting we start by building trust and there's where the relationship aspect comes in that you you need to build trust first you don't just start at the information stage here we'll teach you all of this and of course then you'll you know you'll understand it makes sense and believe it doesn't usually work that way starts way back there with trust, curiosity, you know, building the relationship and then gradually answering the questions
0: as they are ready mm-hmm. to receive mm-hmm. information or whatever it is. I work in a Catholic circle and I have a lot of Catholic friends. And so when I interact with non-Catholics or fallen away Catholics, it's just really beautifully, it has to be intentional. And like I think about, you know, when I go get my coffee in the morning with my barista, I don't know if she where she's at along this path. And so conversation with her if she's in the trust stage isn't going to be like, so, like... How, you know, have you been praying the daily rosary or do you know what the rosary is? It's something like, you know, it starts as simple as like, how was your day? Like, how are you doing? Like, how is it really right. going? And so it's so right. beautiful and freeing, I think for me as someone who's kind of like, you know, has been afraid of evangelization because I don't have the answers to have that first conversation, just really be interacting with them and recognizing them as a child of God. And it just starts there for a lot of people um, and building up that trust. And so I love love that stage and knowing where they're at too is so helpful when it comes to conversation and to To being intentional and to meeting them where they're at right and as you're
1: having those conversations inevitably it gets into the tough issues and everybody's going through something there's always um, some area that's troubling or horrible in people's lives and as you listen and understand what's going on with them it's very easy to depending again where they're at to say have you prayed about this Mm -hmm. if you suspect they've got some faith Um, You know, and if they say no, you know, can we stop and pray right now? Um, Can I pray for you? Whatever seems apt for the situation, but to bring it back to that, oh, I know that there's a God that's got answers that can work in this situation, whether they fully believe that or not. This can work even with a person who has the most minimal faith that maybe there's a God out there, much less, you know, any relationship with Jesus. but. It's an introduction to a God who loves us, a God who cares about even the smallest things going on in our lives. And so through these conversations, you can often reach a point with someone where you're, they're vulnerable, they're looking for answers, and you can direct them to, oh, there's a God here who cares about this.
0: Right, right. And it's all about setting that stage for that encounter with them. It's easy to think, like, oh, you know, I'm going to have this conversation or a series of conversations because often evangelization isn't just a one and done conversation. Um, but it's easy to think, you know, oh, I'm going to have these conversations and, and then they're going to convert to Catholicism and this is going to be so great. And instead to shift that mindset from like, no, this again, this isn't me. This is me, you know, setting the stage for an encounter. And, and eventually, and we pray, you know, we pray and God willing an intimate relationship with Jesus and with the church. And so I just like being able to set the stage and ask questions like, yeah, like you said, like, where's God at in that for you? Like, if you're, you know, you're going through a loss or um, depression or these different things that everybody goes through and just being able to bring God into that conversation and not being afraid to bring God into that conversation, especially when you're living a, an intimate relationship with him. And then it's just introducing someone to one of your really good friends.
1: And part of this too, is being mindful that, it's not us doing the work, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work, and we right. may be just a little tiny part of the process. We might, you know, ask one question, say one thing, and another person is part, you know, over here, and God orchestrates these things. We may not see the beginning or the end, or, you know, we may be just one little piece somewhere in the, in the middle of the process. We don't know. We right. don't have no idea how that works.
0: Right, yeah, my friend and I always describe this as soul farming. You're planting seeds, someone else is watering it. You may never see the harvest, but and you don't. And, and all, right. on, yeah, you may never know what your role was uh, as well um, until we get to heaven, and God willing, are able to you know, kind of look back and see how He was using us. It's, and it goes back to that humility. Like I'm, I'm just planting a seed. I'm, you know, I don't know what this is going to bring, but I'm trusting God that if I'm open to working through the whole, like the Holy Spirit working through me, this is going to bring fruit. This is going to bring a harvest.
1: Right, and if we don't get too anxious about it, because we can. We can really be off putting if we're anxious to. Oh, we've got to do this whole evangelism process, you know, and we get pushy or, um, yeah, we just have to be listening to the Holy Spirit's timetable, um, not our own agenda.
0: Right. And that that brings up the idea that evangelization isn't this one-size-fits-all process. I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking like, okay, if someone asks this question, then I will respond with this. And then they will ask this question, and I will have this response. But we can't just like memorize evangelization like a script or, you know, kind of put people into boxes and hope that they're going to ask what we want them to do for follow-ups. So why is it important to, to make sure that we're listening and to make sure that we're valuing the story of the person in front of us and not falling into that trap of thinking that this is like a fill-in-the-blank kind of evangelization model.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is really driven by true love and concern for a person, not about our agenda. Yes. If we are focused on the good for that person, God's best for them, then it's not about us and what we are trying to accomplish. It's about loving them and helping to introduce them to God. But
0: it's it's about what God wants for them. You mentioned that anxiousness, not thinking like, all right, we have a year, we have to work through the the five thresholds in one year, and this is going to be a success, and they have to join RCA by this time, and so that they can come to the Catholic Church by Easter Vigil for next year. <laughs> and yeah, it, like you said, that can be so off putting, especially in a conversation with someone they're just getting to know, or a friend that who's like you said, like is getting to the point where they're being vulnerable and they're trusting you with things that they're going through that are challenging to then take the conversation and be like, okay, great. Now I have a plan. Like, this is how we're going to talk. This is how it's going to go down. Um, But I love what you said. I'm going to emphasize this again, because I don't think it can be said enough, is that evangelization, we think it's about talking, but when it comes down to it, it's really about listening to the other person's story um, and valuing them. And that's so important. And I think that's something that I know I have forgotten and I know that I have had to work on and continue to work on. And I love that point so much. When it comes to someone converting to the faith or journeying through those different thresholds of conversion. What role does their worldview play, um, and what are questions that we can ask them in conversation to kind of encourage them to give serious thought to a worldview that they may have but they don't know that they have in some yeah. ways?
1: Yeah, I got into worldviews way back, as I mentioned in you know the, my homeschooling days, and and then um, you know speaking and teaching on it and. I very I've been very aware of this idea that if we all look at the world uh, through different colored lenses. Our presuppositions about the most important questions these shape what we believe. Do we believe a God exists? Do we believe there's such a thing as truth? What happens to us when we die? What is the nature of man? You know, really fundamental questions yeah. that shape our world view. So these underlie what. People say they believe, whether they know it or not, and so many people absorb their worldview from the culture or people around them without even thinking, examining what they believe and why they believe it. But it's crucial that we understand, try to understand uh, where people are in their worldview and maybe even get them to examine their worldview as we're you know, having this discussion because it dictates what they, what they think, how they react, how they respond to so many things. For example, a person might be just closed to God. They've grown up with a very materialist outlook, secular humanist, that sort of thing. Um, and I contrast this in the book, too, because I think a lot of people need to see it really concretely. Because your ground, you know, your baseline assumptions there really dictate down the line how you're going to think about all kinds of things, Uh, our our attitudes about life, abortion, euthanasia. You think about the difference if we are merely accidental results of chance, as the secular humanists Mm -hmm. would say, uh, evolution is all there is. There is no creator. There is no purpose to life. It's all accidental then what difference does it make if we eliminate what they would call useless life or, you know, somebody who would have a less than perfect life right. or somebody who's dying and, you know, we could hurry them along and take away some of the pain. They see no bigger purpose. So, you know, it, it's affected by those ground uh, grounding assumptions. So worldviews are critical uh, when we're having these conversations with people, and you know, I find that it's easy to get into some of those questions by going behind the question asking. Yeah, you know, just as with um, the ones about Mary, of going deeper. Uh, why do you why do you think that? Why does that concern you? And let me just give you an example. Maybe somebody who's dating, mm-hmm. uh, considering whether this person could be, a, you know, their their spouse. Asking questions about. Where do you, are you going in life? What is your purpose? How do you envision um a family life being? How would you raise kids? How does this potential spouse view those things? That gets into world view questions, yeah, and we hope they've thought about it right, but <laughs> so you know so often not you know mm-hmm, yeah, oh, I just love him, uh, he's so wonderful, he's got a good job, and oh, he's so handsome, and you know. <laughs> You know <laughs> what happens when we have kids, and you know with his his background and my background, you know how are we going to raise these kids? uh what do we think about god what What role will God play in our lives as a family? Anyways, you can gradually bring those in. I had a conversation with a a young person who was thinking about marriage, but was no way ready, had no idea of what uh where he was going in life. So you couldn't even begin to think about where is he going in this marriage because he didn't know where he was going. Right. Which led into, you know, deeper conversation about,
0: you know, purpose of life. And anyway, that's how you get there. Right. Right. No, that makes it makes a ton of sense. It's like also a lot of like uh, when doing marriage prep with different couples or even thinking back on my own marriage prep it's a lot of family of origin questions that it's easy to think like, well, every, you know, every family must think like this because that's how my family grew up or every, you know, every person's childhood, you know, probably had some aspect of this because that's what mine had And you. It's like the air you breathe around you in the environment. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't even, I didn't yeah. even know that I'm thinking this because I've been around it so long that it's kind of, you know, gone through my thoughts and, and that's how I, you know, it's easy to assume that that's how everyone thinks. And so I think that, Talking about worldview, whether it's in relationships, in preparation for marriage, or in conversations about with people with that intimate relationship with Christ, it's going to bring up a lot that they may not have even thought about. It's very like a subconscious thing. And so I think it's so beautiful and such a recognition of their story, like their whole story. Um, from the very beginning to bring up topics about worldview and to really dig deeper with them into things that, yeah, like you said, they, they may not even have even thought about at this point. So it's just, yeah, I really yeah. like that concept.
1: You know, there's, there's another aspect to this, too, even with people who are cradle Catholics, longtime Catholics, often have not thought through their faith and have yes. not really accepted uh, Catholicism, the truth of it. And you can ask some some of these questions of a Catholic and find out that they don't believe in heaven or hell. <laughs> you know, they don't right. believe in some of the most basic uh, things that you would assume go along with someone who identifies as a Catholic. Yikes. And you use that word assume, and I think it's very important that we not assume that people believe because they label themselves as something You don't assume that that's accurate. Right. You ask those questions anyways, because they may say, oh, I'm an atheist. Yet, if you ask if they've prayed about something, oh, yeah, I've prayed about that. Right. (laughs) Who are you praying to? I don't know. But (laughs) um, But there is that thing. You know, so then you can ask questions, well, what kind of a God would you pray to? Um, can You can get to it from different angles, but those worldview questions are important for everybody, not just the person who's outside the church.
0: Yeah, I love how you brought up cradle Catholics. I, I'm i a cradle Catholic as well. And so it's easy to think, too, like, oh, gosh, I don't really have a co- conversion story. I don't really have this great story of, of reconversion and and to think that, like, oh, you know, uh, it's really not worth sharing. But even with cradle Catholics, most of us have gotten to the point where it's like we have sought something seriously or recognized something in our faith that has spurred curiosity for us to seek that. And then there's that decision point, like whether that was at yeah. – confirmation or a retreat in college or during marriage prep or regardless, it's going to be unique for everyone's story. But I think it's so important for cradle Catholics to realize and to think about, because it's not something that we, it's like our worldview. We don't inherently know our story. We've lived it. Like we've been in the trenches with our story. It's easy to dismiss our story is not important, but even cradle Catholics do have a story and they do have a decision point. And if they're at the threshold of being an intentional disciple, they've gotten to that point. And so, especially for cradle Catholics, even before Mm -hmm. those evangelization questions, you know, come from different people to sit down with your own story and reflect intentionally, whether that's in, you know, in adoration or after church or just an intentional prayer time, like, what's your story? Where has Mm -hmm. that been? Because I think for evangelization, people want to get to know you, they want to get to know Christ through you. And they want to know, like, what difference does it make that you're Catholic? Like, where does that play out in your life? How does that make your life better or more holy or more joyful and where is that from and so being able to <laughs> articulate that know your story. Yeah, because you may be a catholic who is
1: not more holy the pro- you know the protestant you're talking to may be holier than right. you or may have a better prayer life than you yes. and um yeah <laughs> very important that we yeah. step back and you know take stock of our spiritual health
0: right exactly exactly especially like you like you said like going in and, and And coming into conversation and wanting to lead others to Christ, if we don't know Christ ourselves, like if we don't have that intimate relationship with him, like it's going to be introducing, like it's going to be a blind date where you don't know any of the people who you're setting up. Like, oh, I hope this works. Like, I hope this works out well for them, but I don't know either of them. And that's, yeah, that's not intentional at all. Yeah. I love how you brought up prayer in conversation when it comes to evangelization. And I think you point this out in the book, and I would totally agree with you that it's a crucial part of evangelization. But, and Catholics, in some ways, are used to praying out loud with others when it comes to things like the mass, or praying the rosary together as a family, or praying the rosary in your parish. But when it comes to a spontaneous prayer, it can be something where it's like, oh, I'm not going to say the right words, and I'm going to embarrass myself, Mm -hmm. and my prayer's not going to be good enough, and so I'm just not going to pray. So how do we get past that point? And do you have suggestions for how to start praying with others? And then you mentioned this in the book, and I want to touch on this too. You talk about how important it is to follow up with someone after you pray with them if possible. And why is that an important step in the evangelization (laughs) process? (laughs) prayer
1: is so important, praying uh, if you think you're going to have a conversation with somebody, I pray for opportunities for conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but praying, you know, before or during conversation, even as you're listening, oh, Holy Spirit, in- <laughs> inspire me here. I don't know what to do with this one, you know. <laughs> or, How do I answer? I don't know. Give me words. Yeah. But praying with people specifically, the spontaneous prayer, especially someone who's been away from the church or doesn't know the church, you can't pray a Hail Mary with them. That would right. be so off-putting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've just shown them you're not part of the club. You don't know this prayer. It's, mm. um, one of the things we do in Alpha, uh, the Alpha course, is an evangelism. It's an evangelism course to you know, really for the whole world, you know. And they don't introduce prayer at all. You don't pray at meals. You don't pray visibly until about the fourth session after you've introduced the concept of God that you know who is Jesus you know right. some really basic things and then prayer is introduced and you talk about what prayer is and then we end the session with very simple prayer with the host in each of the small groups asking you know can we pray for you is there something you would like prayer for and then praying very simple prayers and that's a fantastic model for those of us trying to begin praying with other people. What's on your mind? You know, what's concerning you? Or something they've shared. Can I pray about that? And not getting fancy, uh, it, it's very off-putting if you sound like a professional prayer. <laughs> but, oh, you know, just a prayer like, oh, God, please help so-and-so with this. Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. You know, really simple. And that's so effective. People, <laughs> people are... I think, so often touched by prayer, that somebody prays for them specifically. It may be the first time, the only time they've ever experienced that. It's very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. It introduces them to God in an indirect way. Right. So, um, and then especially if the prayer is answered, which so often these kinds of prayers are, um, it gives them... Uh, you know, a place to start with God. Okay, God, you care about that. Uh-huh. Right. Maybe you care about other things. Mm-hmm. You never know where it's going to go. But um, it's so important. And this, you know, our our tendency is to say, oh, I'll pray for you. And then, you know, walk away, right?
0: Yep. And then forget. And,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder how many people actually do. I do purposely, I keep a prayer journal where mm-hmm. I try to write down, if I can remember by the time I get home, get it in the prayer journal. Yeah. And remember to pray for people if I say I'm going to do that even if I prayed with them I will try to follow up with prayer that way too but I will also try to follow up with people that I've prayed for because it, that's part of that ongoing conversation it's a door into the conversation about where they are going spiritually so what's happened with that situation And, you know, then they'll, you know, they'll continue their story where things are at. And maybe it's an opportunity for more prayer or to go deeper into the conversation, some other direction you don't know. That's building relationships, building trust, you know, those foundational thresholds that we need to get past. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools we have for doing that.
0: Right. Amen. I love that, that follow up because it's not you know, I prayed for you and, and that's it. It's this beautiful continued conversation where they're aware that not only are you praying for them then with them or afterward in, in conversation with the Lord, but this is something that's been on your heart and this is something that you want to follow up on and just again, like just valuing who they are as a human being. Absolutely. Kathy, where can people find your book, Everyday Evangelism for Catholics, and where can they find different the resources that you've mentioned, but also your writing online?
1: I've got a website for Everyday Evangelism for Catholics, and that website is, very simple, evangelismforcatholics.com. Perfect. But it's also available, it's published by TAN Books, and so it's available on their website and through Amazon and uh, Catholic bookstores. You should be able to get it if they don't have it on the shelf already, they can get it. So it should be easy, easy to get. It's available in, a, I think, a Kindle version also. I oh, haven't awesome. seen that myself yet, but they tell me it's there. That's easy enough. Um, I continue my homeschooling work at KathyDuffyReviews.com. And I do have some interesting sections for those who like to dig into other topics. Um, my general book reviews and great books, I have sections where I really get into books on the origins debate, which I find absolutely fascinating, creation, yeah. evolution, all, the, all of that stuff, and the intersection of um, faith and culture, and that's those kinds of topics, education issues. Um, Some of the great books that I've found, I review there, too. So people who like to find interesting books that will challenge your thinking, um, you might want to check those out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have I'll put those links for those in the show notes on my website as well. So people can find them there. And and yeah, continue to explore. I love the the origin, just different concepts of that. And that's just such a great topic to dive deeper into good with good resources.
1: Well, it's an important one. um, If you are serious about evangelism, more and more people are are thinking that religion has no value because science has all the answers and I think if we are serious about evangelism we have to really start thinking this through ourselves uh, the where how does science relate to religion uh, where is God in this in you know the origins debate what do we believe what does the church teach we need to know what the right. church teaches and right. you know what the what the options are <laughs> um, anyways that's a whole another that's a whole nother topic.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Kathy, thank you so much for just your generosity and coming on and sharing your story and all of these beautiful practical tips when it comes to evangelization and kind of just tearing down the myths that come around that that keep Catholic women, women and men um, away from bringing up their faith with others. So thanks for your time today and then for the resource as well for the book. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find the show notes for today's episode over on my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, where you can find links to Kathy's websites, her book, Everyday Evangelism for Catholics, a practical guide to spreading the faith in a contemporary world, and some more information about things that we talk about, like conversion thresholds in this episode. That's all I have for this week. So until next time, be not afraid.